Those are the sweet, sweet sounds of Barrett Johnson. Thank you, Barrett. Thanks so, so much. Yeah, I just want to put the banjo down in the corner there. And uh, welcome, all of you, to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We are deep in the sixth episode, the penultimate episode of our clobber series, clobber, clobber passages series. <laughs> and uh, oh, what fun it's been. Uh, my name is Keith Giles. I am the author of the Jesus Un series, growing by one more book uh, in the month of March. Jesus Unforsaken will release uh, the subtitle. What do we land on? The subtitle is Substituting Divine Wrath with Unrelenting Love. And Bruxy KB did the foreword for me. And it's kind of, you know, kind of dismantling the whole penal substitutionary atonement theory nonsense. Uh, so, yeah, check that out. And um, I am joined by my co hosts, uh, Katie, Derek, and Matt. And I think it's time for them to step on up to the microphone and say hi. I am right up here on the microphone. My name is Katie Valentine. I'm the author of Sex, Slaves, and Self-Control. Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control, an appalling community. I'm, I'm, I'm not pro-sex slaves, just so no one gets the wrong idea. <laughs> Get your gimp on. <laughs> so we're all clear about my justice issues, yes. <laughs> I'm Derek Day. I'm the author of Deconstructing Religion, the host of the Forward Podcast, and I also get to write a blog called Love Minus Religion for Pathios, and I'm going to get back to that this week. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, I need to get back on it, too. I'm a nice guy for hire, too, by the way. Yeah, and I'm Matt DiStefano. I am not for hire, and but I don't know if I'm a nice guy. The, the, uh, the jury is still out, but I also write for Pathios, and... Uh, I've been writing books, not as not as prolific as Keith Giles. I understand that. Oh, man, Giles. But who can be these days? Um, I'm excited uh, for another episode of this Clobber series. And I think this is the number number six, Keith. Is that what you said? He, um, is it? Yeah. One, two, three, number, yeah, six. Oh, that's a lot. Oh, wow. So so I'm, I'm, I'm excited for another one here. Sweet. And in case you nice people ever want to reach the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, you can do so by exercising your index finger and dialing 240-343-7379. Once again, it's 240-343-7379. And we have a text. Roll that beautiful text footage. And it reads, Hi guys, I like your podcast and its progressive take on Jesus Christ and Christianity. I'm learning a lot from Keith, Matt, Jamal, Derek, and Katie. I like your inclusive Christianity perspective on that topic. I hope you realize that your podcast title could exclude some segments of the Christianity population, specifically recovering alcoholics from AA or any other alcoholic recovery program. The term happy hour with a glass of beer, which is your logo, could be a trigger or a turnoff for some recovering alcoholics. You might want to take this into consideration as I think this is not respectful or mindful of the recovering alcoholic population of Christians and non-Christians who might want to learn from your podcast. Thank you for considering my point of view. Love Anonymous. 
<laughs> I love that it's Love Anonymous. That's that's beautiful. Is this a good opportunity to announce what the topic is for today? <laughs> that we're talking about? I'm sorry. I think it is. Derek, you should announce it. Yes. And 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 that that is fantastic because this today we are talking about drinking and substances. And we are talking while I am turning up a glass of single malt scotch. Yeah, Glory to God. Own. Yeah, I've got my old fashioned here. I have a glass of water. And, and, I, and I'm stoned. <laughs> so, you know what, though? The guy brings up a good point. Um, I mean, thank you for bringing this up. I think you were the first one. We're almost at, at 100 episodes. And I, I think this is the first time anyone's, at least to me, has brought this up. Um, but I see your point. I mean, um, you know, we, we, we certainly didn't come up with the name hoping to offend anybody or to make anyone not feel welcome. I mean, our goal is to um, do a podcast about different you know, issues of faith and deconstruction and reconstruction and things like that. Um, and we're just trying to have a lot of fun here. So, but I do get it. I mean, uh, I can understand if you are someone um, who has struggled with alcoholism or just substance abuse that, yes, you might see. You might be flipping through iTunes and see a podcast called Heretic Happy Hour and just assume it must not be for me. And I guess if that's you, you're not listening to this right now anyway. Um, but for those of you who are listening, I guess I'm curious. I, I wonder how many people, um, I don't know. What do you guys think? You yeah. think I mean, it, yeah, listeners, let, let us know if this is a serious detriment to your to your listening. And we also have the you know other kind of perspective that I'm sure we're going to be bringing up where um, sometimes alcohol is so like mythical within Christian circles that it has to be demystified in order to even like let loose and uh, you know have sort of experience the uh, after effects of alcohol. Um, also, alcohol is one of those things for um, all all of the listeners, those who are in recovery or choose not to drink for any reason. Um, we rarely talk about it. I mean, this is the first episode I've been on where I think we're actually like talking specifically about alcohol, but it's a daily part of life. And we know that part of recovery is learning to live with it as a daily part of life, even though you're choosing not to drink it. Um, so hopefully this is not an impediment to joining in the uh, the happy community we have here. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just say um, real quick, like, I, I'm not going to, I don't mean to downplay substance abuse and I'm not trying to lessen or minimize that. But literally, like, I'm sure we've triggered a lot of people depending on what things you get triggered by. So if if you're really repulsed by cussing, you've tu- you've tuned out by this point. But then on the flip side, a lot of people like that we cuss. Um, they they are. It's a breath of fresh air to what they've been uh, accustomed to or what they've grown up in. And they like that. And I've I've just found like no matter what kind of content you create, A, we have to remember not every show's for everyone. Right. A- and B, there are always um for everyone who might not like what you're doing, there's some who do like it because you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's one of those things like as a content creator, it's always good to be reminded of things because we all have blind spots and, and and you know, maybe this does offend people and and we would evaluate that. But then at the same time, you have to make a decision on, 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 on just what you're trying to create with the acknowledgement that, hey, not every listener is going to stay with us for 100 episodes. Some people are going to drop off and new people are going to come in. And that's totally cool. Let me just say this, that I would focus in on the words happy and hour, right? 
and 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 take them in their in their purest context because if nothing else myself and I'm going to speak for my co-hosts that this is a happy time in fact the only way that you would probably get happier is if sex were involved and <laughs> we're not having sex here at least not with each other um and 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 it's an hour of your time so think about this. Just think think of it like this, that this is a happy time where you can decompress from all your worldly cares and deconstruct from all of your religious biases and just enjoy the ride. Right. Yeah. I mean, other than the name, right? I mean, it's really just the name happier. We, we don't really, every episode we don't spend, uh, we almost never talk about this unless it's our topic. We don't care um, what you put in your glass. Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. It does not you can drink water. And listen, yeah. I've, I've been out with colleagues, right? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a consultant in, in, a, in my other life, and I travel around a lot, and I travel with a lot of different people. And there are some people that don't drink, but we go to happy hour, and they go and they have a glass of water or a glass of soda, and they're just as fucking happy as the rest of us. Yep. That's true. Cool. All right. I feel like we've uh, we've arrived at a, a heretic happy hour conclusion on this. Uh, for, no, for now. I hope. I mean, All I right. mean, bottom line, look, we're not going to change the name of the podcast, so that's not going to happen. Um, but at, at the same time, thank you for making us aware of this. Again, yeah. we apologize if we've offended anybody. That's certainly, I mean, look, uh, I should... I shouldn't say it's not our, we're not trying to offend people because in some ways we are trying to offend some people, <laughs> but we're not, but we don't want to offend, uh, you know, people that really need the kinds of uh, content we are creating that because we are intending to help people really through things. So, um, anyway, yeah, I let me conclude by saying we love you. We do right where you are, just as you are. We love you. And that's, and that's all I have to say about that. All right, well, let's get on to our next segment and interview our Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. I'm Brandon Dragan, and I'm a heretic. Hi, Brandon. Hi. Brandon, I hope you are as enthused as we are. Oh, yeah. You guys, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. <laughs> we can tell you can tell we're pumped too pump 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 it up brandon um welcome to the show i'm really ex- uh, excited that you are here really excited that you are a new Thank you a new choir author and uh we're gonna kick it off like we always do why in the fuck are you a heretic well um i suppose coming out of the uh the faith tradition uh that i grew up in the answer is probably that um I don't believe in penal substitutionary atonement or eternal damnation anymore. And uh, that was the gospel in the churches that I grew up in. So that's probably reason number one. (laughs) He said penal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, I mean, I I spent uh, the better part of my childhood in like, you know, if you died tonight, where would you spend eternity churches like every Mm. single Sunday? So, um, I guess if that's where somebody is on their faith journey, I'm probably a heretic because I think God's, uh, he's just a lot better than that. Yeah. Did you, did you, did you ever go to one of those like hell houses? No, actually. But, um, 
I was, I, we did see some of those, like, uh, those horrible movies from the seventies and like the, um, I don't even know what they're called. I mean, I remember in seventh grade or so in Sunday school, watching that like seventies movie on the rapture where people get beheaded and all, cause they didn't take the mark. So, uh, yeah, you know, that landed me in some therapy later in life, but, uh, it's oh, yeah. all good. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I mean, if, <laughs> If Christianity does anything well, it sends people to therapy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It yeah. keeps the mental the mental health profession in the black. <laughs> yep. Hey, maybe they're behind all of this. Yeah. Those mental health people. Damn, like we just figured it out. Yeah. Oh, could you imagine that? The, it's the, not the, the Vatican. The church industry <laughs> in bed with the pharmaceutical company <laughs> in bed with mental health back. professionals. Are you are you guys still doing the uh, the conspiracy theory thing? Because I think this is a new one. <laughs> we need to start a new one. This is you just came up with it. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> wow, that's amazing. So so you're you're in Nashville now. I, I imagine yes. that that the hellfire and and damnation, hell and fire and brimstone type stuff, and PSA is super heavy down there. Do you feel like? Because you've lived elsewhere too, do you feel like it's it's more concentrated down there as you know the the proverbial Bible Belt? Um, I don't know. You know, so I mean, I grew up in northeastern New Jersey, uh, in a very stuffy northeastern style Baptist church, like very traditional hymns, hymnals, organ. You know, you wore a suit on Sundays and stuff. Um, yeah, with my family background, I mean, we had a little bit of like Ukrainian guilt thrown in. And then I guess like somewhere along the way, that whole, I, I don't know if you would call it Pentecostal, but like just the belief in spiritual warfare and you could like pray angels to your aid and pray demons away and, um, you know, miracles and healing happened. I mean, to everybody else, never to me, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that was definitely what I grew up in, in the South. Um, I don't know. It's, it's different. I mean, the same elements there, you honestly, I haven't been, <laughs> I haven't been in a church down here in so long, um, that it's just, it's, it's hard to put my finger on it. The feeling that I get in and around Nashville nowadays is like every church is trying to be that like hip church plant type thing. Um, Obviously we're, you know, music city. And so, uh, there are some absolutely incredible musicians that play in these churches every Sunday. You know, you also have people who are on the road with huge country acts who are doing like sound and lights and all that kind of thing. And, uh, and then it's just like one yeah, just hipster like pastor century. after yeah. the next. Yeah. yeah. Just like first century. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I'm from, I'm from <laughs> exactly. originally, and oh, are you? A, okay. um, yeah, I'm from the South originally, and I've lived in California for um, mo- most of my adult life now, a few other places in between the two. And I'm going to say something radical. I don't think there's such a thing as a Bible belt. There are like there are Bible belts everywhere. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Like every like everywhere I've lived, there have been there have been people that I would say they they look like people in the Bible belt. And I've lived in the Bible belt in Louisiana. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, you said something and I have to follow up on this. What is sure. unique about Ukrainian guilt? Because that is new to me. You know, I don't know. I maybe from the standpoint that my um, my grandparents survived uh, 
like the Soviet famine in Ukraine and World War II. And so, uh, and they were, they were Protestant, whereas, you know, in the Soviet Union, in that part of the world, what religion was accepted was like Russian Orthodox. And so being a Protestant and coming out of that part of the world, um, I mean, I know my grandparents had friends who were, you know, sent to gulags and, and all those kinds of things. And so I think it was more like if you, if you're not serious about your faith, like there are people on the other side of the world who are dying for it. So get right. serious oh, about it. So yeah, there's a lot of pressure yeah. on identity. Yeah. And Both also, and also that whole like KGB element of like, there's somebody always watching you. So you better be doing the right thing. Um, which I came to realize that much later in life. Uh, whether yes, it was like, because in Ukraine, you don't go to party, party come to you. <laughs> that too. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, they, uh, I mean, like I remember my grandmother telling me stories about, about growing up in the, um, you know, in the, in the midst of the, uh, the famine, but also some of Stalin's purges. And, um, she told me in the apartment building where she lived that, that there were people that, year round they would go to sleep in like their full winter coats and boots and everything in case they got pulled out of their bed and sent to Siberia in the middle of the night. Um, and so it was a, it was a very coming out of that into the, into the United States and into, you know, this freedom of religion type culture. It was still a very serious, um, faith, uh, where, yeah, you were, you were expected, to be on your game because lots of people couldn't, they, they didn't have the freedoms you had. So you better take advantage of them. Oh my gosh. I can, uh, I can completely imagine. I've, I haven't experienced it, but thank you for explaining that. I'm so glad I asked. Cause um, I can imagine the pressure that makes you, it, it gives you a double pressure. Not only are you worried about sort of eternal torment, but you're also worried about like, am I disappointing my ancestors? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, like I had a, my grandmother on the other side, which she was born, uh, in the States in Pennsylvania, but, but her parents were both Ukrainian. Uh, I mean, she lived her whole life with the firm belief that throwing away bread was an actual sin. Like yeah. it was something God would actually pub punish you for um so like if she had bread that wasn't good anymore she would always throw it to the birds or something like that because like putting a, any piece of bread in the garbage was an actual sin so uh yeah so i grew up with a with a, a little bit of that and at the same time um it's weird because my grandparents were also i mean i was very close to to all four of them they were also incredibly like grace-filled kind um merciful loving people who would like give you the shirt off their back at the drop of a dime. So, um, the conflict there is something that I guess I'm still working out, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and I don't really have an answer to it, honestly, but I just know that I don't, I don't look back at that particularly. I look more at it in terms of the circumstances they came out of than as like a reflection on them as people. So Brandon, I have a, a question I want to throw at you. What was your sure. pivotal moment? Where where did you change from this Pentecostal PSA uh, type thing to um, this heretic mode that you found? You know, honestly, it, it it feels like a lifelong process now that I think about it. Um, and really, I, I was... I was not a fan of this term for a long time, but I'm starting to accept it 
in a lot of ways. Like it really feels like being born again. Um, it's just this slow revelation, like over time. Um, like I remember um, again, having anxiety as a young child about, you know, was I saved? So like, I remember being in the middle of a hockey game and having this like overcome me. And so like I stopped and prayed the sinner's prayer again, probably for the hundredth time, just because I wanted to make sure God knew I was serious. Um, I was probably in like third grade when I asked my grandfather, you know, Hey, how do we know that our God is the right one? Like if we're putting all of our faith, how, how, how do we, you know, I needed some assurance. And I mean, I think, I think he kind of dodged the question by telling me, well, like that's the devil planting that in your head. So don't even think about that. Um, and I remember, I mean, being eight or nine years old, I didn't even feel like that was a satisfactory answer back then. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the Bible but, tells you know, me so, so that's how I know. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, and as my teen years wore on, I experienced a lot of doubt, but I was also really into church. Um, I was wanting to be a pastor or worship leader for a while. Um, I ended up kind of exploring some other Christian traditions that were much more experiential, I guess, uh, in terms of, you know, asking to be filled by the Holy Spirit, um, you know, begging God to reveal himself to me in a way that I could feel him. And like, and for a while I thought he was doing that. Um, but then I guess I realized it was more me like ginning my emotions up than it was anything that I was internally or, or for that matter, externally experiencing. Um, and then I moved to Nashville, uh, to go to college and got married pretty young in my early twenties. And my wife and I, we were on the journey already a little bit. Um, but we just tried looking for churches and I mean, we just had like one truly terrible experience after the next, uh, until we finally realized, I don't think we need this. <laughs> and it was like, it was like a shocking thing to realize that like, you know, we hadn't been to church in two years and our marriage was stronger than ever. We hadn't become suddenly addicted to drugs. Uh, you know, we just, we, we just the, had the this... wages of sin had not fallen. Around. Yeah, exactly. No wild you know sex I mean? parties or anything like that. <laughs> right. Uh, we just had this, uh, like freedom. Um, and then I think probably the biggest point for me was my last kind of endeavor back into that world was, um, a ministry job that I had with a nonprofit Christian nonprofit organization. Um, the job didn't work out after about two years and the organization does great work. There's amazing people that work there, but I think I realize like, I just don't fit in this world anymore. Um, because part of it was about like, you, you couldn't ever be at peace because you, it felt like you were always one prayer or one missed prayer or one decision that's out, you know, quote outside of God's will and everything would come tumbling down around you. Um, and I think I just finally decided I didn't, I didn't need a faith or a God where when things are going good, God gets all the glory. We praise God. But like when things go badly, people ask you, well, what's going on in your life? Like, why, why isn't this going well? And I'm like, why doesn't he get any of, of the shit about this? Like, why is it all on me when things go bad, you know? And then on, probably having children was the last draw for me because I was already wrestling with some of the questions about, you know, how could a loving God 
send people to hell, those kinds of things. And, um, you know, I just held my baby girls in my arms and thought to myself, you know, if it is true that God is a father, like there's no way, you know, there's nothing that my children could ever do ever where I would say you deserve eternal punishment for this or like, it's just, it just doesn't compute. So all this transformation, all this growth, all this change, how does it lead you to write the book that you have recently published with choir? Because I know there's got to be a tie-in. There's definitely a tie-in. The book, and Matthew, I know we've, you and I have talked about this. I started writing the novel 11 years ago. Uh, I was working a job at the time. It was before I had children. Um, I was married, but was working selling jewelry for a manufacturer. So I had this huge territory that covered five states and was on the road in my own head a lot. And just this idea for this story popped into my mind and I had to pull over and like, you know, in a gas station and just start scribbling down ideas. Uh, and it evolved over time, but, um, it was really back then it it was asking the same question as it is now, I guess I just maybe see it in a different way, but, um, it was asking the question of if we take this idea of forgiveness and reconciliation seriously, what is the worst thing that a person could actually do to you that you, and and could you forgive them? Um, and so, you know, the story is about two brothers, uh, who grow up, they're immigrant, um, children, they grow up in the depression, they lose both their parents, Uh, and then over their kind of their teenage years, they end up more or less falling in love with the same girl. Uh, she gets married to, or gets engaged to the younger one. He goes off to fight in the second world war. And while he's gone, she dies and it's kind of suspect circumstances. And he comes home, can't get a straight answer from his brother, uh, who was the last person seen with her. And so it's just for him, it's this whole uh, the cycle of like suspicion, anger, um, like self doubt that leads to addiction that leads to more separation. And so, you know, over the course of the story without giving too much away, you know, I'm, I I think it's really asking who is forgiving who here? Uh, and like who bears the cost of unforgiveness? Um, because I think Rob Bell talks about this, you know, so often we think like if we hold on to this grudge in our hearts, that person that we're holding the grudge against is going to suffer. You know, that person is going to know that I'm mad at them. And like, you come to find out that no, you're the one carrying all this around. You're the one carrying the wages of sin, so to speak. Um, and so that's kind of where the the title came from, the wages of grace as a play on that in terms of like what would happen if we just gave away forgiveness, no matter what people did. Um, and it's not um, not in any way saying that we should ignore trauma or you know, dangerous situations or anything like that. It's just asking the question, I think mainly of, of who bears the burden of unforgiveness. That's amazing. I can't wait to read it. Um, Brandon, we would love, or I would love to know a little bit about where you are with your, um, with your story. Now you mentioned earlier that 
you know, you're you call yourself a Christian and most of the week and then some days a week uh, you don't. And I think that's um, totally reasonable uh, from my perspective. So what is your relationship right now with Jesus, with Christ? I'm not sure what terminology you use. What, what's most comfortable for you and how do you see yourself in the middle of that Jesus story? Yeah. So, so oddly enough, um, I mean, I would still affirm the apostles creed. So like I do consider myself an Orthodox Christian in that sense. Um, I, I just, like I said, I, 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 I tend to hold it with open hands as opposed to closed fists because I really don't know. Um, and so like my faith, I, I see it as an inherited faith. Uh, in a sense, and, and I don't mean from my parents, but I mean, you know, from the apostles and on. Um, and so there are certain things that I really struggle with. There are certain things that um, I have doubts about and that maybe I'm not sure of, but um, I am comfortable enough with the person of Jesus that like, even if I don't necessarily want to identify with the political culture that surrounds uh, organized Christian religion in most parts of the world, I still want to be identified as a Jesus follower. Um, and you know, interestingly, one of the, the turning points for me there was, uh, actually doing some digging on Sikhism, um, which I really didn't know anything about until my late twenties. Uh, and I heard a, um, well, what fascinated me about it, I was going through this deconstruction and, you know, I was always taught Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. You know, if you don't believe Jesus, there's nothing else. And then like, I started seeing Jesus all over the place (laughs) and, and Sikhism is really an example of that. You know, 1500 years after Jesus lived in the middle East, you have a guy that comes along in this incredibly segregated, um, you know, class structured culture who is like, is saying, no, the rich and the poor should eat together. And you're all princes and princes and princesses in God's eyes. And I'm like, that's Jesus. Like, look at that. How did that happen? You that know? is the and, parable and, of the wedding feast, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, and actually I heard a Sikh teacher and, and I don't know his name, but, um, you know, he said that there is one God and we are all his children. And so he was actually telling people don't, try to convert to Sikhism if that's not what like where your path leads you. And he basically said like if you're born a Muslim, your calling is to be the best Muslim that you can be. If you're born a Jew, your calling is to be the best Jew you can be. If you're born a Christian, be the best one that you can be. And um that was a really that was a really big moment for me where I felt like okay, like I can still be comfortable in this like inherited faith. Um and, and still hold it in humility that, you know, the whole thing might be wrong. Uh, I just more or less, I look at it at the end of the day of like, um, love and, and self-sacrifice and justice and mercy. Like those are the things that I want to devote my life to. You know, I, I was thinking that when, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, I, I like to flip that around and say an ad word. I am is the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, the yeah. self-realization, self-actualization, that that's the way. And and however you come to that is is the way to the you know to the to truth and the life. That's that's yeah. that's how I see it now. So I'm I'm not that's I'm not great. hung up on you know one road. Um, you know, people say you know 
all roads lead to God. And I'm, I'm really at that point. That's me personally. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think the big, the big takeaway and, and too a lot of, a lot of the, the faith groups that I grew up in, so much of it was like inward focused. How is your relationship with God? How's your heart? How's what's going on in your life? And, and I just want to turn that and like take care of myself and love myself, which I never felt like I had permission to do in that tradition. Um, but also like really want to be part of the movement of God in the world. If you want to call it that towards healing and restoration. And, um, oddly, I mean, that that's part of what led me to go to, to start law school at the age of 34, um, was this, just this idea that, uh, you know, we have people who are quote bad people in society, people who have done terrible things. A lot of them have. Um, but if anybody is standing in their corner, I I feel like it's Jesus. And so like, I want to be in their corner and when everybody is against them, I want to be the person that's that advocates for them. So, um, that's kind of the heart the heart that I approached that with y'all can check back in 10 years, see how that's going. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love your, your open hands, you know, holding and participating in the story with the sense of openness and um, the sense that you could be wrong. Um, You could have been wrong. You could be wrong now. You could be wrong in the future and you could be right as well. Maybe those things can, yeah, like simultaneously exist. And I, I think I could be wrong. I think it's Thich Nhat Hanh who said, or at least has something similar to the quote that you gave or the idea that you gave, like that we're um, often we're meant to bloom exactly where yeah. we are planted yeah. in the traditions that were planted. And um, it's, it's odd because that concept also keeps me tied um, to the Christian tradition and the way that I understand it. And isn't it odd that it's a Buddhist that yeah, us there? Yeah, no. And that's in exactly. a beautiful way. And again, over and over. And that was, I mean, a, a big moment too was in Rob Bell's, one of his books where he just talks about heretic. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know who he is, right? I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> no, keep a little idea. Uh, oh, you've yeah, talked. We may have heard of right. <laughs> um, you know where he talks about like uh, Jesus frees us to accept truth and beauty wherever we find it, uh, and, and that's just. I mean, that's how I want to live my life. Like whether it's um, reading a book with my daughters, or going on a walk with my wife, or you know. Uh, being in the middle of going through discovery on a grisly first degree murder case. Like I just want to, I want to, I want to be a human and I want to be a good one. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, Brandon, um, where, uh, you, you know, you have this new book out, which by the way, congratulations. That's awesome. Yes. Um, thank you. Where can people find out, uh, where can they grab the book? And where can they find out more about you and sure, sure. And what you've got going on? Yeah. Uh, the, the book is on Amazon. Um, you can also find it at the wages of uh, has all the places where it's available. You can get it on your favorite e-reader. Um, my website is brandondragon.com. Um, you can get all my social media, a blog that I occasionally post, uh, now and then on there. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I love connecting with people and, um, would love, uh, would love any thoughts on the book that, uh, anybody that's read it has had too. So sweet, awesome, man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on and thanks for writing that book. And, uh, I would encourage all of our listeners to check that out. Yeah. Great book. Thanks very much. Thanks for being here. Right. Appreciate you, man. Yep. This is great. Yeah, thanks. Bye.
Wow, that was that was great, Brandon. Thank you so much for being our heretic of the Thank week. Thank you, Brandon. Awesome, Brandon. Good having you aboard. Yeah, and we hope you're cool with uh, being attached to uh, our topic today. I don't know how it ties in, <laughs> but we're going to make it tie in. So, Brandon, thank you for coming on. We are going to talk about drinking. We're going to talk about substances. We're going to talk about the passages that denounce both or don't denounce both. We're going to find out. Maybe we can lift a toast to Brandon. Yeah, a toast. And thanks for being here. Make it tie in that way. So cheers, clink, clink, clink. Clink, clink. Uh, Let me roll up a quick $20 bill real quick. A crisp. (laughs) Get my mirror. (laughs) There we go. Wow. I'm curious, what's everyone's, um, your top drink of choice uh, among us four? Well, Katie, why don't you kick us off? What's yours? I'm, I love a good vodka tonic with a lime. Uh, respect or no respect? Respect. Respect. I'll, I'll, I'll drink. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that sounds good. And especially if you're gardening or in the summer, something like that. I find it works 12 months out of the year. But yes, especially then. I agree. <laughs> yeah. It'll also keep you from getting scurvy. You know, that quinine. Exactly. May may even have effects against, well, I was going to say effects against COVID, but you know, hey. I, I am proof that that is not true. Right. <laughs> living proof that that is not true. I was about to say, yeah, yeah, that one didn't work out. But uh, single malt scotch over here. Yeah, awesome. Uh, a, a, a particular brand? Glenlivet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Keith? Yeah. I'm an, old, I'm an old fashioned guy. Yeah. In more yes, ways than are. one. Yes. <laughs> Old man fashion. Did, did the drink choose you or did you choose the drink? <laughs> so, yeah, listen, I, I'm not a big drinker. I mean, I drink a little wine here and there. I never have liked beer. But um, my previous job that I had for like 10 years uh, working for this um, technology company, they would have quite often they would have these like happy hours. And um, and I didn't most of the time I didn't go because, I don't like I said, I don't drink. But I went this one particular time and we went to this uh this bar in Irvine, California, and one of my coworkers had an old fashioned and he was, the, the bartender was describing to him how he made it. And just listening to how he made it, I was like, you know what, let me have one of those. And I took a sip and I was like, damn, I could drink way too many of these things. <laughs> um, and over the, and so I, that was my first one a couple of years ago. It's only been a few years ago. And, um, and then since then, I, I've ordered like two more, two different times that I went out. And they were horrible. There, nothing was ever as good as that first one. So I have a friend who actually is a bartender, and he made a video for me and sent it to me showing me how to make one at home. Damn. And now that I make them at home, oh, man, now I am, I'm hooked. I love them. They're great. Matt, what about you? Uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I hate to be my medic and everything. Um, but yeah, old-fashioned is, is definitely my bag. Um, I don't, I haven't been drinking. I've got, I've got this weird drink right now. It's like fake whiskey. It's basically spice water. And, uh, but yeah, when I do drink, definitely an old fashioned. So you have an alcohol free whiskey. I have, I haven't, well, I can't call it with, it's not whiskey. It's, it's, it's okay, but it is alcohol free. It is a (laughs) non-alcoholic spirit just so I can have the ritual of having happy hour with y'all. I can respect that. Is it, is it really what you want? What you really, really want? I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. <laughs> um, no, it actually isn't. It isn't, but that's okay. If you want to be my cocktail. That's right. That's Sorry. right. Pop culture. That was a good well, one. Well, you know what? It's, it's, I, I'm, not doing, I'm not drinking because you know what? The Bible is pretty clear, my friends, that we are to be sober-minded. Yes, it is. We are, we are not to be drinking alcohol, you heathens. Yeah. I don't think the Bible says... 
anything about vodka. Nothing. That, that's a good point. I'm in the clear. Yeah. You know what, though? I, 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 when you said that, you know, the Bible, the Bible totally says it. I, I thought of the, uh, I don't know if you invented it or not, Derek, but I think I saw it first. Derek, you've shared this a couple of times on your Instagram and on Facebook that it's like a, it's like a parrot and it's Bible says, Bible says. Bible says. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, it, that's, that was, uh, that was my graphic from one of my blog posts on. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd like to say one quick thing. And, and it's this, that beer and wine, you can chalk up to biological accidents. You know, you leave something sitting out too long and it begins to ferment. And you say, hey, wonder what would happen if I drank this, <laughs> you know? And, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, it's happy hour. But distilling, on the other hand, that requires the mind of Christ. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, you can't there's no accident there. Yeah, you have to really intentionally know what you're yeah. doing. Well, let's yeah, maybe it'd be helpful if we kind of talked about how the Bible is used to to clobber alcohol, if that's a good thing, if that's a bad thing, and and then we can work on unclobbering it. Um, Matt, you named a verse, I think, from First Peter about being sober minded. What are other verses, if if any, that are used to clobber um, alcohol? We, we know that it happens, right? We know that the Bible is, is used or like the idea of the Bible is at least used like the, the parrot, uh, the parrot says. Um, but uh, specifically, is there sort of Bible a list? Says, Bible says. <laughs> it's going to be my new favorite thing. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, well, you know, the, so very similar to first Peter is the second Timothy four, right? It also says be sober minded. Um, and then I think probably the king of at least one in the new Testament, the, the king the, the primary one is do not get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless indiscretion. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Ah, um, be filled with spirits instead. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's why I drink it old fashioned, not wine. Come on. Because <laughs> the Bible is very clear. Exactly. And yeah. yeah, I think there's lots of random verses and proverbs about be not like not to get drunk, advice to young men, to sort of be, yeah, be sober minded. But it's all along the same lines. Yeah. And, you know, but here, here's what's very fascinating, too. Uh, like a couple of years ago, Matt. Stefano and I, uh, and another friend of ours was, uh, we were writing for this website that was, um, from a, from a Christian standpoint was wanting us to write articles, uh, about CBD and, you know, marijuana and cannabis and things like that. So as, as part of that assignment, we were going through all these scripture verses. And what's fascinating is there's almost an equal number, especially in the old Testament, I mean, you could come up with five verses in the Old Testament that say, you know, don't drink, but you can find just as many that say, go for it, right? That it's a good thing, that it's a blessing. God has blessed us with this. And so, um, again, like many things in the Bible, the Bible isn't of one mind on this topic, right? There's verses that, that say it's a good thing to go ahead and drink, uh, that it makes the heart happy and things like that. Um, and then there are also some that say, but, but I think even then, the ones that, the ones that are cautioning, are mostly on the side of moderation. They're saying, don't get like the one in Ephesians, right? Don't get drunk. Like, don't make it a habit to just like, you know, get, get sloshed. Um, but, but it's not necessarily against drinking alcohol. And, and so anyway, I guess it's kind of a, a weird way of saying maybe even scripture should be used in moderation. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree with that. And, and look, I mean, if we want to take the scriptures seriously, we have to realize like, some of these verses coming from Paul, from Peter, from pseudo Paul, 
these guys are sometimes just giving their opinion on something. Like this is Paul's opinion. Maybe it's good advice. Maybe it's not supposed to be universal. Maybe Paul's writing letters to churches that have certain problems going on. And then all of a sudden we make him some universal, you know, truism. That's when we have a problem. So yeah, I mean, like if I was, if I was writing you a letter, Keith, and you were drinking too much and I'm like, Hey, stop drinking, man. And then someone's like, Oh, that's scripture. That's absurd. Like, it's just me giving advice in some instance. Like, I, I think, I think we have to have our own discernment, right? About these things, whether, whether we yeah. should be drinking or not, whether we should be using substances or not. Yeah. Can I, can I real quick also point out too, um, pseudo Paul is a great point, right? So, so there's a verse in second Timothy that talks about being sober minded, but there's a verse in first Timothy, um, where Paul pseudo Paul tells Timothy, drink some wine not just water, but drink wine for your stomach. And so, again, mixed messages. In the one hand, be sober-minded. On the other hand, hey, Timothy, be sure to drink some wine. So, again, there, you get it both directions. You get this, it's okay, and then it's not okay, right? And then, and then we also know historically, uh, you know, in the first century in Palestine, um, people drank wine way more than they drank water, right? It was, it, it was probably safer to drink uh, wine or fermented drink than it was to drink the water source. Yeah, and I think much like today in the ancient world, alcohol was omnipresent. Um, it was hard to get away from. Wine was probably an antiseptic um, as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, for, yeah, lots of water was probably not great to drink. Uh, and it, a lot of it would be watered down or in the Roman Empire it would be put, lots of syrup would be put in it. But I also, like, I'm also just so mindful in, you know, these admonitions not to get drunk, um, not to overdo it is are also like people like in Matt's example, we only say that if there's a reason to say that, right? Like we never make a prohibition against something that we don't need a prohibition against. So that tells me that some people in these early Christian communities were drinking to excess. And like, I feel for them because you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't flip a Roman sandal around without running into wine or beer or something in the ancient world. (laughs) I like that analogy. That's great. Isn't there, isn't there also something in first Corinthians, right? When Paul is sort of, um, rebuking the Corinthian church about the way they're handling uh, their communion time, their, their Lord's Supper or celebration, that some of them are getting drunk. Some of them are like drinking yeah, too much wine. Yeah, there's too much excess. Like they're eating all the food, drinking all the drink. Right. Yeah. So it's even yeah. happening in the church. So, so even right in that example, here's the church gathering together in Corinth and what they're drinking is fermented enough that they can get a little inebriated. Uh, again, that's not Welch's grape juice. That was, that was actual alcohol, and that's why he needed to say something like, hey, guys, uh, back off a little bit and share. Yeah, you know, like one, one of my favorites, because I, I, one of the things that took me down the deconstructing rabbit hole was uh, tithing, right? And so if you go back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14, this is something that no preacher that preaches tithing will ever, 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 ever preach. And that is Deuteronomy 14 and 26. And I'm going to read it from the King James Version. And it says, and I quote, And thou shalt bestow that money for whatever thy soul lusteth, lusteth after, lusteth (laughs) for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. Wait, this is Deuteronomy what? 14.26. All right. Can I um, read it in a non-ancient Elizabethan? 
That's well, I just I, I, yeah. I went with King James because of the word lust. I know. I really like it. I want to see what else it's translated into. Whatever you desire. Okay. <laughs> I like the King James better there, though. So does that, wait, does that mean that yeah. they had vodka and whiskey? That strong drink? Strong drink. I hope. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, what's also fascinating, and this may take us too far off the topic, so... Never too far. Whatever. Never too far. Whatever. But I mean, again, one of the things, again, talking about the time that Matt and I were doing this thing for this cannabis-related articles, you know, there is some suggestion that cannabis was used even in some of the anointing oil um, that was used in the temple and things like that. And so, you know, there there may be a precedent. And again, I understand there's not not every scholar accepts that idea but i mean there's enough there to say hmm, maybe so um and i think there was even a recent very recent uh book that was written or some research that was done by a guy that was doing research on early christianity um and how in the first and second centuries a lot of these christian uh communities were sort of making their own wine and mixing I mean, in fact it was very very common to mix all kinds of substances with your wine um, including some things like maybe cannabis and some other, maybe even, I think he suggests even some hallucinogenics, like some mushrooms and stuff like that. So that people could have been having communion together and having, uh, some pretty intense spiritual experiences that might've been induced by, uh, some of those substances in the wine. It's very spirited. Yeah. But that's my kind of church. <laughs> There, there's a book that I, I started listening to on Audible. It's called The Immortality Key, and the subtitle is The Secret History of the Religion with No Name um, by Brian Muriescu. And he talks about how you had these concoctions, inebriating concoctions, that involved um, psychedelics, that involved different plants and, and fungi that were added to um, wine or beer or, you know, different beverages. And they were intended to take the partaker to a higher level of spirituality. And, you know, and I'm, and there, back to Keith's point, and I can't remember the guy that actually wrote this, but he's written several books that talk about early Christians mixing psychedelics with wine. And, and that was like part of the sacrament. Man, I I can attest to the fact that if you do that, you're gonna have you're gonna have an experience. I will tell you that. <laughs> tell us a story. Tell us a story, Matt. Well, have you ever taken any mushrooms and had any sort of experience? Have you ever done it at church? Can, can I? No, I haven't done. I haven't <laughs> done it at church. I I I had too much to drink one time before playing worship, and I killed it that night on the drums. But <laughs> um, how about how about this? I I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that. I'll tell a story. Um, for the Patreon folks. So in our bonus, when we start, when we, when we stop and then we start hitting record again for our Patreon folks, I'll tell a story about mushrooms. Nice. Ooh, I've got a mushroom story that I'll share with the Patreon group. All too. right. All right. You know, I got you know, a date. story it's for a Patreon because be I'm a paranoid mess on, <laughs> I, you know, and I'll, I'll sh- share a story about my mushroom experience as well, but it involves pizza. Uh, well, you can have mushrooms on that too, but um, <laughs> you might see yeah. some things. Um, I, I want to go back if you don't, if y'all don't mind to this, this idea of sober mindedness. And I think that's great advice, but I don't think it necessarily has to apply to substances. I think we, we so much, we so yeah. much of the time read things into the scriptures rather than take things out of them. 
I'd rather take like that advice out of them and, and take substances out of the equation on that because honestly, like it's no, it's no secret that I use cannabis. And I find that that makes me like, if I'm about to write, it makes me totally sober minded so I can get in the headspace to write. Now, maybe editing, I'm not going to do that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but for writing, like it, outflow of ideas. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Katie. Um, yeah. Like maybe I had a bad day. Maybe I'm not in the headspace to write. Maybe I want to use a little weed. And then I'm like, oh, what was I so mad about? I'm going to chill, put on some music and I might write some good stuff. I might write some not great stuff, but that's, you know, that's content creation. So the point being is that, again, like this is about discernment what's for you. Like if having a drink before, you know, whatever you're going to do helps helps to actually can, kind of get you in a headspace where you are more sober minded. Now, that's not advice to go out and just boozing. And that's going to, oh, I'm being sober minded, but no, but so it's, again, it's, it's discernment. Yeah, I agree. I think that whole, honestly, I think those verses that, that are talking about being sober minded are not directly speaking to not ingesting alcohol. Again, for just the reasons we just said, because, you know, first Timothy says, be sober, second Timothy says, be sober minded. First Timothy says, drink some wine. I mean, like make up your mind. Um, Again, I do. I do think you can make a case that scripturally, and overall, there is there is a there is a tendency towards like not getting drunk. But you know, even the Ephesians passage, maybe this is a stretch as well. Maybe see what you guys think about this. I, and I, this is brand new. I just was thinking about this this morning because uh, I knew we were going to record this. Um, so in Ephesians five eighteen, when it says, "Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless indiscretion," instead be filled with the Spirit. Uh, maybe it doesn't work. I was going to say it, maybe it, it reminded me of something that Jesus does all the time. It's it's a uh, uh, it's called limited negatives, and it's where Jesus will say, like for example, when he says, you know, do not work for um, do not work for possessions, whatever that that are corrupted that will pay, that will fade and rust, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And um, and so it's it's a limited negative where basically Jesus will say, don't do this, but do that. Or for example, when he says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Um, that it's 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 a way it's a phraseology of communicating where he de- he he says literally don't do this but do that or not this but that but in context it's a, you you get you understand sort of intuitively that what he really means is even though he's saying not this but that what he's really saying is not only this but especially that right so um, but it's phrased in the not this but that because for example in the one about the where Jesus says you know don't work for things that uh, that are corrupted or that'll, that'll fade away or whatever, but lay up for self treasures of heaven. Well, if you took that literally, then you, oh, Jesus commanded me not to work. So I quit my job because he told me not to do that. Well, no, he says he, what he means is not only that, but especially the more spiritual things, right? And in, in, the, in the case of like the sword, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Of course he came to bring peace. He's the Prince of Peace. It's all about what he's talking about. If he came to bring peace. He says explicitly that he did. But when that, instance what he means is not only peace but also a sword and then he talks about in what way he means a sword so in thinking of those that sort of limited negative way of speaking that jesus uses a lot like six or seven times there's examples of that um i was wondering like could it could paul be sort of doing the same thing like don't be drunk on wine but be filled with the spirit like could you maybe even apply it to that like in other words he assumes you're going to drink wine so not only drink wine but especially be filled with the spirit Anyway, just a just a thought. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know if I don't know if you if you guys ever do this or not, but this is a little exercise that I do. I go out and I Wikipedia 
old TV shows that I used to watch when I was a kid. Because I said, surely I may find some deeper revelation about what the show entailed that I didn't understand as my 10-year-old or 12-year-old self that I might understand now. And it just so happens that I was looking up Marcus Welby, MD. And the only person in this group that would probably know that is Keith. That's you right. Guys, but, That's accurate. I do not know it. Do yep. you, Matt? <laughs> no, no, not a, yeah, not a, Mar- not a Marcus Welby, MD. Oh he was, it was Robert Young, the guy from Father's Knows, Father Knows Best, which is really dating myself. Okay. But it said that, that Marcus Welby was a widower and he was fond of being, spending time on his sailboat. And it said that some of his most unique revelations about his unorthodox approach to medicine came from consuming prodigious amounts of malt liquor in the, in the, in the, in the, in the underbelly of his boat. So is this factual? Is this Go out and look it up at Wikipedia. I was like, I was like, holy crap, Marcus Welby, Marcus Welby, Marcus fucking Welby. This is the, this is the sober of soberest shows. Right, I did not know that. And but but he, it said that he got a lot of his revelations of medicine from drinking prodigious amounts of malt liquor in the belly of his sailboat. How old was he when he died? <laughs> I think I think Robert Young lived to be like in his in his late eighties, early nineties. He well, was he was old. I mean, proof is shit, in the he, pudding. He was, but, but yeah, but he, you know that that was the thing. So being what I'm the point that I'm getting at is is like just being drink you know just drinking is not an evidence of not being sober minded i mean hell man i like i grew up with a lot of out, what i call functioning alcoholics right they, they you know they would get drunk like literally every night and get up and go assemble cars the next day and they did this as was just a matter i mean you know my stepdad was was one i mean he was like you know he was a line supervisor you know, he had a really big job, but he used to, you know, he used to drink and smoke every night, every night, every night. And he got up and he did his thing. Now, I'm not saying that anybody, that everybody should do that or that everybody can. But the other thing, too, is that for the most part, my stepdad was one of the sober mindedest people that I knew. Yeah. And so I'm curious what the if there, you know, what the inverse relationship is between um, like closet alcoholism sort of Bible thumping, conservative evangelicalism, because, um, you know, we know, like, we know now a lot of things that people in the ancient world didn't know, right? We know alcoholism is a disease, it's an addiction, it's often a tra- response to trauma, like, there's so many things that are happening, um, you know, so for listeners who have struggled or are struggling with alcoholism, or you you come from families that have, um, yeah, please, please, or at least don't hear that I, uh, that, that we're sort of advocating alcohol as a lifestyle for, um, um yeah, sober mindedness is good, right? Like moderation, this kind of thing uh, is good. But yeah, so that but this um, there's such a there's such a direct relationship to the traumatization of um, yep. you know a, a particular kind of religious upbringings, right? And like the coping mechanism might be alcoholism uh, or or abusive substances or uh, you know other things uh, as well. Um, and so that's you know I think that probably bears some looking. Um, looking at that relationship because we're at least i'm not trying to demonize alcohol in and of itself like i said i like a good vodka tonic but also would you want to equip people to um get assistance right like when they need to recognize when we're drinking out of uh, fun out of uh, having spirits out of being you know in a safe place 
and when it's done as a coping mechanism for all the shit that's happened. Right, like those are those yeah. are two things. I wonder if that bears some looking <laughs> at, you know, within the, within the communities, especially given what our um, what our caller, our uh, caller was asking to about like the name of the show. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean I think I think it's responsibility on all levels, like you know, recognizing when you do need help, like not and and if for those of us who don't need help in that area, not not putting other people in a spot where they where they do yeah. feel um like pressured or where they feel even triggered and i mean again like th- th- this doesn't mean we're going to change the name of the of the heretic happy hour because no. you know i mean but at the same time like i wouldn't throw it in someone's face if 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 they were an alcoholic and i knew that they that would trigger them so there's there's always right, that respect right. and boundary yeah absolutely like you know in our um in our house church context those of you at home take a shot um you know, we would, uh, we would share communion together. And there was, there was an elderly gentleman in our group, older than me, uh, who was in our group. And he also, he was an alcoholic, a former alcoholic and well, struggling, you know, recovering, I should say. He had been so sober for like 10 years, whatever. But, you know, uh, we knew that we knew that he had struggled with that. That was because we knew him and we knew that was part of his story. And to be honest, most of us would have loved to just, when we had communion, have wine, like real wine. Um, but we didn't, we didn't even bring it up. Uh, we didn't even have like, well, here's here's a glass for the real wine. Here's the here's the grape juice for our friend. Um, we just all of us decided no, b- because we love this brother, we don't want to cause any problems. So we just did grape juice, and then he passed away. You know, um, probably like four or five years later, and um, and so then no one in the group struggled with it, and we did. Then we did. We switched back to doing. We switched to doing wine. And so it was something where, you know, in love, in fellowship, we understood that some, whatever, someone struggled with it. And so let's not flaunt it because it didn't matter to us either way. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's important to have, to be aware that some people do struggle with it. Um, whereas I don't think we need to, I mean, I think it's just ludicrous. And I have family members, um, close family members who, 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 if they knew that I drink alcohol, Yes, that's right. I I don't tell them that I do, and they don't listen to this podcast. But if they found out that I had alcohol in my house, or that I drank an old fashioned once in a while, or that I had a glass of wine, or something like that, they would burst into tears. They would think it was game over. I mean, they already think I'm a heretic, but they would think even worse. Like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And um, so, you know, I have family members who 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 are Christians who do think that the Bible does say you should not drink, and I know it's ridiculous. And um, but I don't even. Really, I mean, I've tried <laughs> saying something about it, but I know at this point is there, it's pointless. So you just let it go, right? You just don't bring it up. You don't flaunt it. And because um, it doesn't matter to me, I'm, I'm not trying to win any points or make any prove anything with them. Um, so, yeah, some people do take it much more seriously. Uh, they do want to say the Bible says something that I frankly think it does not say. And I think you can pretty much prove the Bible does not say these things. Um, but at the same time, yeah, we don't want to flaunt it. We don't want to. Um, so I guess I, I don't know what I'm saying is that, you know, on the one hand, for yourself personally, don't lose any sleep over this, that the Bible's condemning something, if you care about that. Um, but, you know, when it comes to other people, if they do think it's a big deal and whatever, uh, I guess you have to just decide how you're going to manage that. The way The way we've done it in our family is to just sort of like not bring it up. One of my favorite memories is um, when I was in college, I went to college in my hometown and I was part of my college choir. We were going to sing at this stupid Christmas party one year. Um, 
top shelf for anyone that's uh, listening from the Centenary College Choir, this stupid Christmas party at someone's house. I was annoyed that I had to go. I was just talking to my grandmother. I was like, oh, I have to go sing tonight, but I'm annoyed. And she was like, oh, you're probably annoyed because they're going to have like alcohol there because it's a Christmas party. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm annoyed because it's like a rich person's house and we're the background entertainment. And I just don't want to do it. And that's one of my, but it's, uh, it, it's such a thing, right? Like she just made this assumption that obviously I was going to have a problem with alcohol. I was like, no, I'm waiting for that concert to get over so I can go to my, so I can go have some wine with my friends afterwards. <laughs> but yeah, va- a vaguely kind of biblical Again, it's this idea of what the Bible might say, even though it doesn't say it. We see a lot more references to like people obviously drinking wine and making wine. Right. Oh, yeah. Jesus' first miracles, turning water into wine. And it was the good stuff. It was, you know, there's a whole point made about that. Um, I remember um, I remember when I was just licensed and ordained as a Southern Baptist here in El Paso. And um, I was on staff at this church. I was in my 20s. And it was like, I think it was Wendy night. It was like our wedding anniversary. And I had gone to the to the grocery store and I bought like a bottle of champagne just to celebrate our anniversary. And that's the only thing I was buying. Like I, the only thing I'm holding in my hand is a bottle of champagne. And another pastor, not my pastor, thank God. A champagne and a glass. And another another but another Southern Baptist pastor who knew me, I just I just hear, hey Keith. And I'm I'm in line at the register to check out, right? <laughs> and I turn around and it's that guy and I'm like, I'm like, I'm dying, dear God. If he sees what I'm holding, so I'm ho- trying to hold it so he can't really see what I'm holding. You know, hi, how you doing? Great. And um, it was like such an intense feeling of fear. And see, now I look back on that and I think, how stupid is that, right? But because he was probably there to buy wine too. Um, you know, there's like, what's 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 the joke? Um, <laughs> uh, there's like there's like a famous joke. It's something like um, Jews don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Um, Muslims don't recognize. Uh, Jews or something. I can't remember how it goes. And then Baptists don't recognize each other at the liquor store. That, that was close enough. Uh, it, it, but um, the the thing that I wanted to talk about is like when Jesus turned the water into wine at Cana. Um, first, I'm going to say one thing that that he he turned it into fermented wine. And and the the scripture says that when the crowd was well drunk, and when you go back and look at the etymological roots of that. It means intoxicated, inebriated. They were already drunk. And so here Jesus breaks out the, the you know, the 30-year-old Merlot <laughs> after everybody's drunk instead of all the well wine. And and the and the master of the feast, you know, um basically he confirms that. But I wanted to add, well, I'm just going to throw this out there. This is a question for another time, but I'm going to throw it out there because it's a really good heretic question. Whose wedding was it? Uh, I know the, the theory, I've heard theories that it was his wedding, right? That, that's my theory. But, that, but, but anyway, one last question, and I'm going to back out. And it's this. What does the Bible say about weed, about cocaine, about mushrooms? What does it say about any of those things? Because it, it's it, basically it's easy to clobber alcohol because there are references specifically pertaining to alcohol. But when when for someone that that smokes weed or does shrooms or whatever it is, you know, or even you know takes up a couple of lines of cocaine every now and then, <laughs> hey now, what what about that? What about yeah, that isn't guy? there there is a verse um, that'll make people very nervous uh, in in Genesis, right? When it talks about creation, it says that God made 
every yeah. seed bearing herb or whatever plant for it was for for our consumption for our, our good and then again the thing about cannabis is there there's all kinds of CBD oil has all these kind of purity uh, like a uh, purification and healing properties um and, and there's here's the thing yep. that blew my mind the human body has a built-in endocannabinoid system that means that means the exactly. creator if the creator made your body he included a cannabinoid endocannabinoid system that is with filled with receptors that are yes that receptors. are basically open and ready to receive the healing properties in cannabis that are that are in the cannabis plant that he created for that he says in Genesis he created for us to consume so it almost seems like if we're not supposed to consume this stuff huh <laughs> Well, that doesn't seem to make any sense. One of the one of the things that's occurring to me, and this is really coming from my uh, friends who do colleagues who do shamanic work, and kind of in my my own passion for metaphysics. But when we can consume plants of any kind, um, and with respect to the plant, right? When we when we can consume them with um, you know particular purpose, with treating that plant with respect, not treating the plant as escape or as um, we're not drinking it to cope with trauma or we're not inhaling or we're not whatever, um, as a trauma response. Um, that's a really different relationship with the plant. And yeah, so my friends who have done like really have really spiritual experiences with plants. Um, that's a key thing that's really emphasized. They're not doing this to get high. They're doing this, um, with, um, having a relationship to the natural world. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about is the, um, the tree of whose leaves were for healing and revelation. And when, when you think about CBD and all of the, the different uses of that for healing, could it be, could it be that the tree whose leaves are for healing in the book of revelation, that it was our good old friend, marijuana slash hemp? No, I really hope not. Cause if so, I'm screwed. <laughs> But you, but, I can't but do you, this stuff. you have built-in <laughs> endocannabinoid receptors, Katie. You're built to, to you're yeah. built to handle this. Maybe I haven't treated it with respect because it has not treated me with respect in the past. But yes, <laughs> I can. Well, and and as one who has firsthand experience, just a couple times, um, it's not for everyone. <laughs> and 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 a thing that is said in like um, you know like psychedelic uh, people who dabble in that kind of stuff, it's all about the set and the setting. So if you're if you're not respecting something, you are in for not a fun time at all. Um, but if you do respect it, you use it. I mean, like they're talking about using LSD for people who have alcoholism, right? Um, they're talking yeah, about microdoses. Yeah, they're talking about psilocybin or mushrooms for people who have PTSD, and the studies are really positive yeah, promising. Yeah. and promising. Yeah, so. Look, like, and Keith and I talked about it in, in our articles that we wrote for this company. Like, it's if, if it's for healing, if it's for good, God made it. Like, God made every earth, or herb and plant. And does that mean abuse it? No. But it means, like, there is something good yeah. for, in this. There is something good. It's not good in every situation. Um, but it is good in some situations. Yeah. So. Right. I have, a, I have a non-serious mm. question. Shoot. Is this... Are we, is this podcast like the gateway drug to deconstructing? Well, 
I don't know. We we can make maybe we that, sounds like a, that sounds like a t-shirt though. Yeah, there you go. Heretic Happy Hour, yeah. the gateway, the gateway drug to atheism. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was like the, the the gateway drug to better questions. There you go. To better questions. That's right. That's you right. Um, drink to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cheers. Raise your glasses as we wrap this up. I will make sure to tell my mushroom story in the bonus round. But before we leave, we've got to remind everyone that we have not only a website heretichappyhour.com we have a bookstore at that website so if you go to heretichappyhour.com check out the bookstore 15% off most titles from our heretics of the week we know you love them so go check that out see if there's a book there for you it supports the show and it saves some money in your pocket Awesome. We would love to have you in our Facebook group. The one that's free is for everyone. We've got 2000 heretics in there. It's a great community. They, I can't, I can barely keep up with all of the great conversations that happen in heresy after hours, our Facebook group. We also have a select exclusive members only Facebook group for those who are part of our Patreon community. And that's where we post all the nudes. Uh, No, just kidding. Uh, But yeah, speaking of that's my only (laughs) speaking of Patreon, uh, as Katie mentioned, um, man, first of all, those of you who support us on Patreon, thank you all so much. Um, and as a thank you for all of our Patreon supporters, uh, we have, that's where we post like bonus uh, interview footage, bonus, um, bonus podcast footage where we actually record extra footage. that's not heard on the actual podcast. Um, we have uh, just added some new tiers. You should run over there and check it out. Patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. Uh, all kinds of great stuff there uh, for you guys. And and as a member of the Patreon group, you also uh, unlock access to the private Facebook group, the Heretic Happy Hour Facebook group that uh, Katie mentioned. But thank you all so much, all of you who do support us, everything from the $2, $10, $25 and up levels. Um, it, we appreciate it so much. It means a lot to us. And we love being able to record this extra content for you guys. And if you like this podcast, we highly encourage you to go out to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Because if you don't, your dreams will be haunted by hallucinogenic images <laughs> of a purple unicorned elephant <laughs> dancing on a beach ball. That actually sounds kind of... I think nice. that... I like that. that. sounds kind of fun. Yeah, that like might it. relate directly to Derek's story that he's going to tell. <laughs> Uh, actually, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of. Nice. 